Good morning everyone. Another lovely day to give God thanks for all his goodness and his mercy. All his blessing that he has poured out upon us. We continually give thanks to him for that. Today we turn our attention again to the book of Ephesians chapter 6. Hope you had a good reading yesterday and reading chapter 1 and chapter 2. There's a whole lot of things to learn there and I'll be sharing with you today a few scripture verses that speaks to the very core of what Ephesians is all about. This book of Ephesians was written by Paul the Apostle. He wrote it from prison. Why is that important? Because it will help you to understand the core message of the book. Because one of the things about being in prison is that when you're in prison and you understand and realize that, boy, you're not going to be out there to go freely among the people and to share with them, you don't have time to waste to talk about things that are not important. You're going to focus on the things that are most important. And when you read through the book of Ephesians, you realize that it is a book that is not extensive, but it's a book that is very compact with the truth about our relationship with God and our right as a believer. Because Paul is going to focus on what's most important. And that's when you understand that this book was written from prison, it would bring that to, 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 to bear that he's not going to focus on anything that is not relevant. He's going to focus on the most important thing because time is of the essence. Another thing about this book of Ephesians is that it was written in a time when Christianity in the region was being threatened by new philosophies or religious philosophies. There were new religious philosophies that was now influencing the region. And these philosophies was now becoming a threat to Christianity. One of those philosophies concerns primarily the Christians in Ephesus who were not Jews. They were Gentile. And there were now Jewish persons coming up, telling them that you have to do this and you have to be circumcised and you have to obey these laws and you have to obey these rudiments and, and rituals. And so they were now proposing these philosophies to these young Christians, among other philosophies that was threatening the young Christians that was there in Ephesus. And so Paul writes this letter primarily to say to these believers that you have your right in Christ. And in Christ, you have access to everything. So he focuses a lot and talks a lot about in Christ. So the overall emphasis of Ephesians is the unity of the church in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. The unity of the believers in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's his focus because that would give the believers what they needed to stand against the push that they were coming up against of these philosophies, these religious philosophies. In chapter 1 to 3, you'll find Paul talks a lot about in Christ. He says things like in him, through him, in whom, in Christ. There is a total of 21 such passages in these first three chapters of Ephesians. And so we have to then utilize this knowledge to help us to understand this book. So as you read through this book, keep these things in mind and it will open up the book for you. You'll understand why Paul uses certain phrases, why he says certain things, because his focus is to, is to bring the believer to understand his unity that there is in the body of Christ. Jews and Gentiles, Greek and Hebrew, it doesn't matter. He's saying, all of us, we find unity in Christ. We all come together in the unity of the faith as a body of Christ. So uniting together will happen as we recognize our identity in Christ, not in our 
skin tone, not in the country we are from, not in how we live, not in where we live, not in how we, we live our lives. No, our unity comes from the fact that we are in Christ, our identity with Christ. That's where our unity comes from. Not in our likings or our habits or those things. No, that's not where our unity lies. Our unity lies in our relationship with Christ, what we share with Christ. Now, I can't emphasize more how Paul talks about what he's going to ask us to do. You see, in the second part of his book, chapters 4 to 6, Paul talks about the practical living of the Christian life, the things you do as a believer, the things you engage in as a believer, what you're supposed to do. So chapter 4 to 6 is practical in his message, practical things. He says wives do this, husbands do this, servants do this. And so it all lines of practical things you're supposed to do. But before he comes to telling you the practical things to do, Paul talks about your identity in Christ. He lets you know that you are supposed to be in Christ because in Christ is when you're going to receive the power and the ability to do these things. So before he tells you what to do, he tells you who you are and where you are and where your power lies. Your power does not lie in you. It does not lie in your abilities. It lies in your relationship with Jesus Christ. In Christ is where your power is. So it tells you that first and foremost. And then it tells you what to do. So when you come to chapter 6, it's almost like a summary that Paul is giving. He's giving almost a summary of the entire discourse that he has given to the Ephesians. And in this summary, he outlines for us it's almost like he's giving a battle plan as to how we engage this enemy. First and foremost, we spoke yesterday about the power that we have in Christ. When he says to us, be strong in the Lord, we should be strong in the power of the Lord. We must put on the whole armor of God. But then we must turn our attention to identifying the enemy. So the important thing here is to identify the enemy. The first thing that he tells us in verse 12, Paul says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So here, Paul identifies for us who the enemy is. He outlines for us who the enemy is. Critical to winning any war is first and foremost to identify the enemy. And Paul here tells us who that enemy is. It says, this enemy is not flesh and blood. Critical for us to understand. It's not flesh and blood. It's not flesh and blood. And so therefore, understanding that the enemy is not flesh and blood should let us understand and define for us the kind of weaponry that we need. Because when you know your enemy, you will then know what weapon you need. In literal warfare, in the wars that are engaged in by the different nations of the world, they know that their warfare is against another man. And so they use weapons that will inflict harm and damage to flesh and blood. Because they are fighting war against flesh and blood. So if you're not fighting a war against flesh and blood, you can't use weapons that inflict damage to flesh and blood. So, one, the bullet inflicts wound to flesh and blood. And also, the sword will inflict damage and wounds and even death to inflict these things upon flesh and blood. But the enemy that we are fighting, the sword and the bullets, will not inflict any damage to them. 
because they are not flesh and blood. So Paul give us four defining phrases of our enemy. He says our enemy is principalities. Our enemy is powers. Our enemy is the rulers of the darkness of this world. Our enemy is spiritual wickedness in high places. Now it would do us well to go through each of these and understand each of these enemies or each of these phrases because each of these phrases is going to help us to identify specifically who the enemy is. And that will help us to strategically advance against these enemies. First and foremost, all we need to understand here, friends, is that our enemy is not flesh and blood. Flesh and blood means a physical man, a physical body. That's not our enemy. We must also understand that, yes, flesh and blood sometimes are what the enemy, our enemy used to come against us. But we should not return fire on the flesh and blood. Our return fire must be targeted against him who is using the flesh and blood. For example, a man pushing a wheelbarrow towards you full of acid to dump it on you. What do you attack? Or who do you attack? You would not attack the wheelbarrow. You would attack the person pushing the wheelbarrow. Because once you get rid of the person who is pushing the wheelbarrow, the wheelbarrow won't have anywhere to go. It is a person who is pushing the wheelbarrow that you're going to take out. One of the things that I've noticed about the armed forces, I would have seen video clippings from time to time of how they engage the enemy, especially when they are in a vehicle. So I remember this scene from an attack that was done. There's a vehicle in which the enemy combatants were traveling and the helicopter in which the American army was they were chasing this vehicle. And all the helicopter did was position itself in front of the vehicle. And the soldier that was on the helicopter used a rifle and fired one bullet into the engine of the motor vehicle. That motor vehicle just stopped. Couldn't go any further. Because what they did was disable the engine. So the enemy combatants couldn't even get away. They were stopped in the tracks. No, they can't deal with them. Now it's the same thing with our kind of warfare. It doesn't make sense. You fight against something that the enemy is using. Your battle is not against what the enemy uses. Your battle is against the enemy. So, one, get rid of the engine and the vehicle will stop. And you'll be able to combat the enemy. So sometimes you have to get rid of the engine. What's the engine? The engine is what is propelling that instrument against you. The instrument might be flesh and blood. But the engine that is propelling that instrument is what you need to attack, not the individual that is being used or the instrument that is being used. Once you understand these clarifying things about the enemy that you're fighting against, it should redefine how you engage the enemy. When people tell lies against you, do you counter those individuals? No. We deal with the father of lies. We engage him. We launch our attack on him. We wrestle with him not the persons who are telling the lies. So our warfare, this will define it for us. This will define the kind of war that we fight. This will ultimately tell us how to fight this warfare. Christ said something in his discourse to his disciples one day. He said to them in a story about a sower 
who goes out to sow his seed, and in the night his enemy came and sowed tears among those wheat. One of the statements Christ said was, let the wheat and tears grow together until the day of harvest. You see, friends, dealing with people, it is not always clear to identify those who are agents of the devil and those who are just Christians who are struggling with certain habits. It's not clear sometimes. So Christ says, let the wheat and tears grow together until the day of harvest. Because on the day of harvest, that is when you will see the fruit and the fruits will separate the wheat from the tears. Because the tears don't bear fruit. But the wheat will bear fruit. So any plant that does not have any fruit on it is hewn down, root up, and cast in the fire. That's what Christ says. So it's by the fruits that we are going to be defined. So don't worry about whether or not there are any agents of the devil amongst us. Don't worry about that. What we focus on is the enemy, the principalities, the powers, the rulers. That's what we focus on. Spiritual wickedness. That's our focus. So once you identify your enemy, you have literally won the war because you now know who the enemy is and we are more than conquerors through him that loves us. My prayer for you today is that you will live out today knowing who the enemy is and so launch your offensive against that enemy. Father, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your love. I thank you, O God, that you have never left us alone. Today, as we come before you, Father, we commit our lives into your hands. We commit every member of our bodies into your hands. Use us for your glory, Father. And as you bring us through this time of understanding who the enemy is, may you enlighten our understanding, Father, with your word through your Holy Spirit, that God in every situation will identify the enemy without any doubt. And so, God, with confidence, we can stand firm on your word and declare it, declare it through our lives. We give you thanks, we give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Have a great day, loved ones. And do remember that God loves you and I need you.